Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Daniel, I want to thank you for filling in, leading music for Chris while he's gone. Thank you, brother. Um, also, uh, just if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews 12. I'm going to make some comments. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to continue our sermon series in Hebrews. Um, I think I'm probably going to say this at Gary's uh, memorial service tomorrow, but we, I just wanted to, to remind you all, Gary is the first member of Walton Community Church who died and we are going to have what we started at Rockdale Community Church. We're going to continue here. We're going to have a little memorial plaque for every time a covenant member dies, and we're going to put it out there. And what's great about that is even if we end up moving buildings in the future, we can just take that. So every time a, a WCC member dies, we're going to we're going to remember that. So uh, I miss we miss our brother Gary. Uh, I would just encourage you to keep praying for Sally and their family. Uh, just precious, really awesome family. So just continue lifting them up. All right, Hebrews 12, um, the context, the title of my sermon today is Our Father's Training, and the context, I've said this many times about the book of Hebrews, is that this is a church who is suffering. They're, they're undergoing persecution. They're mostly Jewish Christians who are suffering because of their faith in Jesus, and a big part of the teaching of the book of Hebrews is the writer wants to encourage them and provide them teaching on dealing with suffering. And what we saw in, what you can see in Hebrews 11 in that hall of faith, especially at the end, is that suffering comes to God's people even by faith. I mean, there are passages in there that said, by faith, they were put to the sword, right? By faith, they were sawn in two. So suffering comes to God's people even as we live by faith. But we can remain faithful to Jesus Christ even while suffering. So the call is, over and over in Hebrews, is to endure and persevere, continue persevering in your faith in Jesus. Because Jesus is going to hold us tight forever. So we can cling fast to him knowing that he will, will hold us fast. He will never let us go. So just a reality for God's people is you're going to suffer. The question is, how are you going to respond? The response is the most important thing. So at the beginning of Hebrews 12, the writer gives us two ways to begin thinking about suffering. One, he tells us to consider saints of old, like the great cloud of witnesses, that group of witnesses. So think about the fact that in the Old Testament, saints, they held fast to God. They remained faithful to God even during suffering. The church, early church, did the same thing. Throughout church history, God's people have remained faithful even while suffering. And the cause to look around. I can look around this room at people who are suffering and they're remaining faithful. Our brother Gary suffered tremendously at the end of his life. He remained faithful. So the teaching is, as you're going through suffering, one of the things you can do is look around at people who have gone through suffering and they've remained faithful to Jesus. Okay, so that's one. Another one is to, to consider Jesus. Jesus, in his humanity, suffered tremendously. In fact, if you look at verses 2 and 3 of Hebrews 12... This is what the call is. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, looking to Jesus. So look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's this teaching on endurance. Endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him. So set your mind on him as you're going through suffering. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Okay, so that's the teaching. Fix your mind on saints of old. Fix your mind on Jesus as you're going through suffering. Today, he's going to give us another teaching on suffering, and the writer is going to teach us how we should view our suffering, our perspective. Your perspective on things matters in a huge way because your response is really what matters, right? Your response to these things is what matters. So our perspective on suffering and hardship should be this, that God ordains, God is sovereign, God ordains suffering because, and this is the teaching today, God is a loving father who trains his children through suffering. Our God is a loving father who trains his children through suffering and God knows that his kids need suffering to grow, okay? That's the teaching. It's a hard one, but it's necessary, okay? So, so what I want to stress, and we're going to look at this this week and next week, is my, I really want to convince you to embrace hardship because it is necessary for us to grow in holiness. It's necessary for us to change, to grow in perseverance, to grow in spiritual Maturity, spiritual strength, emotional strength, holiness, producing the fruit of the Spirit. Embrace hardship because it comes from your dad who loves you. That's the message of this passage, okay? So again, our father trains his kids through suffering, all right? I'm going to read verses 5 to 11, then we're going to walk through it. I'm going to actually go through the text pretty quickly. I'm not going to do a bunch of Greek words. I'm going to give you one Greek word, okay? Because the passage is really clear. This is, you can read the passage and you understand what he's saying. It, and it's so important. I really want to spend time applying it this week and next week, okay? I want us to spend two weeks thinking deeply about it. The one word I do want you to pay attention to, the one Greek word, it, it actually shows up eight times, and you'll hear it in this little passage, is this word paideia. And it usually refers to teaching or training children. It's where we get the word pediatrician, that little word P-E-D at the front. Pediatrician, pediatrics, it has to do with, with children and instructing and training children. So this is, this is huge. One tip for whenever you, you'll hear this word discipline over and over in this passage, eight different times. I would encourage you, and I'm going to try to remember to do this, to at least one time over the word discipline write training in your Bible. Because for us, when we hear discipline, at least for me, most of us have this negative connotation with discipline. But if we hear training, and this is the word paideia, Training is usually positive. If somebody says, I have a personal trainer, that means it's a positive thing about them growing in their you know, physical strength, right, their health. So training is more positive. So, and I want you to see the positive aspect of this. There is a corrective nature. There's a reproof in this. But there's also a very positive part of this discipline, okay? So this idea is, is, is instructing, training, teaching, coaching, whatever, to increase maturity and grow, uh, grow in strength, okay? All right, so let's, let's read the passage. And I'm, again, I'm going to try to say training a number of times as we go through it. Let's go through 5 to 11, and we'll go verse by verse very quickly. Hebrews 12, beginning verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline, training of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines, trains the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline, training, that you have to endure. 
God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline, train? If you are left without discipline, training, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined, trained us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, they trained us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, our Father, disciplines, trains us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline, training, seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay, so this is a passage. This is an awesome passage. I really want you to spend time in this over the next couple of weeks. Let's go to verse 5. He says this, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Okay? Nor be weary when reproved by him. One thing very quickly about this, in your Bible, it may have this passage set aside, like it's a set aside at a paragraph thing. That's because it's quoting Proverbs chapter 3. And here's what I love about this little section. Proverbs 3 is Solomon talking to his son, okay? Written a thousand years, over a thousand years before this was written. So Solomon's talking to his son. But notice how the writer of Hebrews understands the Bible. He understands the Old Testament. He says God, in Proverbs 3, is addressing you as sons, is addressing you as children. In other words, when we read the Bible, God is sovereign over what we read and when we read it. Okay? In the moment that you're reading God's word, he's talking to you in that moment. And that's the way the, the, the writer of the Hebrews understands this. In another passage in Hebrews 3, back in the early part of Hebrews, in Hebrews 3, 7, he quotes this Old Testament passage, but he says it this way. He says, as the Holy Spirit says, present tense. And then he quotes this thing written a thousand years ago. In other words, and this is just how I want us to think about God's word, when we're reading it at that moment, God is talking to us right then, right now, okay? In this moment. So it's a huge thing about God's word, all right? So again, verse 5, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So he's saying don't treat the discipline or the training of the Lord as a light thing. Don't treat it as an insignificant thing. This is an important thing, in other words, he's saying. When you go through trials, when you go through suffering, understand that this is an important thing in your life at that moment. It's not a light thing, so don't regard it lightly. And then he says, nor be weary when reproved by him. And again, the call throughout the book of Hebrews is don't grow weary, endure. Be strong in the Lord. Again, back in verse 3, we've already read it. At the end of verse 3, he said, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Because when we go through suffering, the temptation is to just get tired of it. And you just get exhausted and you want to quit. And he's, in, he's exhorting, he's encouraging us to, to not do that, to not grow weary or faint-hearted. All right, verse 6, he says, For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. So he's asking the question, why is God disciplining you? Why is he training you? Because he loves you. That's what he says right here. He sees you. He receives you as his child. That's what it says. He receives you. So our God is Abba, right? And we pray, our Father, Abba, Dad, Daddy. 
Whatever term of affection that you think about, you're a loving father, put that in there. So our God is our dad, and he loves his kids, and that's the point of this passage right here. Also, when it says, don't get confused if it says son, it doesn't say daughter. Back then, sons were the ones who inherited everything. Well, daughters inherit everything in the new covenant, right? Like daughters, sons and daughters of God get inheritance of resurrection life to come, get full the full benefits of being in union with Jesus Christ. So don't get confused about the fact that it just says son and not daughter. All right, verses 7 and 8. It says, it is for discipline, it is for training that you have to endure. Again, the call is to endure, to persevere. Then he says, God is treating you as sons, daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So what he's saying is just recognize the fact around you in the world when you have loving parents, they discipline, they train their kids. Okay, This is just a fact of life. Parents train their kids, and their focus is is on their own kids, right? There is a special focus that moms and dads have that is reserved for their own children. I don't discipline kids that aren't mine. I have a special love and a special affection, a special concern and responsibility for my kids. My kid, other kids don't have to endure an hour-long talk from me, right? My kids have to do that, okay? When they were little, mom and daddy, if they did something that was going to harm them or somebody else, they'd get their fanny spanked, okay? We didn't do that with other kids. It's not my responsibility for other kids, right? I have my own focus on my kids. Same with God. He has focus on his own kids. So a lot of this, and I'll say this at the end, this doesn't apply for non-Christians, right? This stuff about God being the father and children doesn't apply to non-Christians. God doesn't have a special focus and concern about people that have rejected his son, okay? So we have this focus on our own kids. When our kids were little, we would encourage them, we would teach them, hug them, shower them with affection and encouragement and everything else. But when they were disobedient, did something that hurt themselves or others, you know, when they go play out in the street, they're going to stick something in a light socket. We don't just sit there and look at them and go, huh, that's interesting. No, we go over and get them, you know, because we love them. We love them like crazy. We're not going to, we're not going to put up with that. All right, verses 9 and 10. Besides this, he continues this comparison of earthly fathers, earthly parents. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined, trained us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, our our father, our dad, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So what he's saying is we understand when a loving father or a loving mother disciplines a child. Even if the parent is not perfect, right? We respect that. While we're young, our parents disciplined us for a short, short time while we were under their authority, right? Most, and most parents, most parents do the best they can. That's just the fact it is. Kids, your parents are doing the best they can. We're not perfect. We all make mistakes. In fact, kids, when you grow up and become parents, you're going to mess up too, okay? But what he's saying is most parents do the best they can. We make mistakes, but we're trying, okay? That's what he's saying here. And since we understand that human parents 
and their efforts to discipline and teach their children. We understand about this. Can't you understand how your heavenly father also must discipline and train us? That's what he's saying. And notice verse 10. He says, for our good. For our good. It's for our good. And what's the good? That we may share his holiness. That's the goal. Holiness. And when, and when we say holiness, sometimes we think of like real pietism and strict obedience to the law and all that. That's, obeying God's law is part of it. But also holiness is trusting God more and loving him more and loving others more, loving others better and, and producing the fruit of the spirit, growing in spirit, spiritual maturity and strength, all this, growing in toughness, all this is part of, of holiness. So God uses hardship to grow us, to train us, to discipline us. And this is how we should view hardship in our lives as God's children. That should be our perspective. That's what the writer is saying to us. So in the moment of suffering, we should instinctively remember that this is ordained by my dad. My dad wants this for me, his son, his daughter, okay? And also, it doesn't mean that God is necessarily happy about the suffering. Okay, like if one of God's children is suffering, especially if one of his kids is hurt because of someone else's sin, our Father in Heaven isn't happy about that. It distresses him in a way. There's a a sense in which, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit grieving, right? There's a sense in which God grieves when his kids hurt. But because God is sovereign and because, Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, then we have to believe that our God has good reasons for at least allowing suffering to come into our lives. And he's going to use that suffering for our good. But again, it doesn't mean he's happy about it. When I see my kids hurting, even if it's the result of their own sin, when I see my kids hurting, I hurt. When I see my kids grieving, I grieve. Our Lord Jesus is the same way. The Father is the same way. The Holy Spirit is the same way. Our loving God does not rejoice when his kids suffer, but he knows we need it. He knows we need it, and he's going to use it for our eternal good. And the good might not even be in this life. It might be in the life to come, okay? But it is for our eternal good. So in the moment of suffering, we should instinctively remember that this is ordained by my loving dad, and he's going to use it, and he's going to use it for my good. We don't do this naturally. In the moment, we don't do this naturally, thinking, oh, God's going to use this for good. I can tell you, when I first started thinking about this, shortly after I became a Christian, I was in law school, and I started thinking about God using discipline and troubles and hardships, and I'm in law school, and at our school, you'd have to stand up to run 200 people and talk about a case that you spent 30 seconds reading, okay? You had no idea what the thing, at least for me. I I, I didn't, and I just stand up, Especially I had a constitutional law class, a con law class, and this dude was brutal. And I remember my stomach being upset before every class and, going, and thinking about this idea of God disciplining us, and I didn't care about God training me through this. I wanted it to end. I just wanted it to be over. It's the same way when I've had health problems. When I'm in the hospital, I don't sit there and go, I know God's going to use this for good. This is really wonderful. I just want it to be over, right? I want the pain to end. And it's, so, it's, it's fine to want the pain to end, but we should also, in the back of our minds, understand that this is going to be for my good. 
God is going to use this for my good. God wants us to understand this, okay? He wants us to, to have this idea about suffering, that he's going to use it to train us, to discipline us. Our verse 11. And I would encourage you to underline verse 11. In my view, I think this is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Maybe this should be a memory verse for us. Verse 11, here's what it says. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And notice he says, all discipline seems painful for the moment. All discipline seems painful. Suffering is painful. And I appreciate God, his realness. God is real. He doesn't say, it's not that bad. It's okay. It's not that, no, he says it's painful. This discipline, this suffering is painful. But then he says, but later, not now, not in the moment of suffering, it's not going to produce fruit right then, but later, later it yields fruit. Jesus taught about this a lot. This is John 15, verses 1 and 2. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Think about what he's saying. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Jesus is saying that we are in union with him by faith. Jesus' life-giving sap flows into our souls. And then, through his power, we produce fruit. For the glory of God. But Jesus also says in this passage that if you're bearing fruit, what is the Father going to do? He's the vine dresser. He's going to prune you. He's going to cut on you. And I've talked about this before. Cutting hurts, right? Cutting hurts. But God, Jesus says that this is what God is doing. This is the same thing that's being taught in Hebrews 12. God is pruning, cutting on us, disciplining us, training us so that we can produce fruit, okay? Now, the thing is, we can't see it. When we're going through suffering, we can't see this. It takes eyes of faith to see this. We can't see that God is involved in our suffering, but he is. He's cutting, and he's pruning, and he does this because he loves us. When God's children go through this, we need to have eyes to see that he is at work, even when it hurts. And again, it doesn't mean he's rejoicing at it, especially if you're suffering from somebody's sin. It doesn't mean he's rejoicing at it but he is going to use it to produce fruit in your lives. So do we have eyes to see that? That's what I'm asking. Cutting hurts. Cutting hurts. But I'm convinced that what's happening is God is using this suffering to prepare us for a growth spurt. I really do. When he says later, it produces this fruit of righteousness. Later, it yields this peaceful fruit of righteousness. So God disciplines, he trains, he prunes, he cuts, and it hurts but growth is coming. Your pain is not meaningless. In other words, child of God, your pain is not meaningless. There's a purpose in it. And God, behind this is your father who loves you. That's what the writer is telling us here. It's, we must believe that we have this loving father who cares about us. He may grieve about it, but he's still going to use it to grow us. And we can't get strong. I really want us to believe this. We can't get strong. We can't grow unless we go through suffering. There's simply no other way. Most of us think, I can grow without hardship. I don't need hardship. I can grow without it. I would ask you to get that thought out of your head. You need it. It's a lie. God knows 
We can't become the people he wants us to be unless we go through suffering. There is no other way. We need the Father's discipline. We need his training. It hurts, but there's no other way. And I can prove it to you because even Jesus in his humanity needed it. You know that? That blows my mind, but it's true. This is Hebrews 5.8. Hebrews 5.8. Although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus had no sin, right? He had no sin, and yet he needed suffering. He needed discipline to grow. He was perfect, and yet he had to have this suffering to grow. How much more do you and I need it who are sinful and foolish? How much more do we need it if Jesus in his humanity needed this? So I would just say understanding this can just have this profound effect on your life and in lots of areas of life. For example, in the area of parenting. Parents, my prayer is that you will be over the top loving and encouraging. You'll have so much affection and love for your kids. I hope you have respect and admiration for your kids. I really want you to just shower your kids with love and encouragement. I do that. Constantly love and encourage your kids. But, and this is what we learn from this passage, all of us, including your kids, need discipline. They need training. They need to go through hardships and suffering. So here's my encouragement to parents. Don't be too quick to rescue your children. Your kids need to go through some hardships. This is how they learn and grow. Allow your kids to go through some suffering, especially if it's the result of their own mistakes or their own sin or their own foolishness. Allow them to go through some of it. Don't rush in to rescue them all the time. Don't be a helicopter parent who wants to protect your kid from every single hurt. For example, if a kid forgets to do his homework, he's going to get a zero on a test. He may end up flunking the class, whatever. Don't be quick to rush in there, meet with the principal, and make all this noise to try to get the, 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 so the kid has no effects as a result of not doing what they're supposed to do. If something happens like that, they need to feel the results of it. This is how God trains us. If your kid does something sinful, something that harms someone else, they need to, they need to feel the hurt. They need to feel the hurt. Make them apologize and make restitution and do it in a way that allows them, honestly, to suffer some. Because that hardship, that pruning, is what God uses to produce massive fruit in people's lives. If a kid is getting picked on by a bully or has a tough teacher or a tough coach, let them learn through it. They have to learn. I'm not saying allow your kids to be abused. Okay? We confront abuse. We don't, we don't allow abuse to go on. But what I'm saying is, what we see from this passage is that God uses hardships and suffering to train us even when we're kids. So we want our young people to learn to deal with stuff early on. This is how our Heavenly Father has made us. So again, don't rescue your kids too early. God wants to use hardships to train us and to train our kids so he can grow us because there's simply no other way. So don't deprive your kids of that opportunity, right? God wants to grow us because here's the thing, hard is coming. Hard is coming in your life. It's either now or later. And if a kid learns to deal with it now while they're at home with mom and dad to walk them through it, that is so much better than protecting them all the time. And the first time they feel hardship is when they're 20s. That is terrible for them. They they can't learn from it. It's a lot better for them to learn early on where they have parents who are walking them through it and teaching them God's word as they go through this, okay? So don't rescue your kids too early. 
Let them feel the results of their sin or their, or their foolishness or just the hardships of life. Just don't rescue them too early. And I'll say this too. It's the same for family and friends. We don't want to be codependent. Codependent people are the ones who rescue all the time. They don't allow people to feel the effects of their sins or, or they make excuses. They cover for them all the time so people never feel the effect of their sin or their stupidity. This is how God grows us. This is, God is our loving Father, and he wants to grow us as we go through hardships, and it's for our good. And often we need to experience the effects of our sins because this is the only way we can grow. It's the only way we can be transformed. Remember Hebrews 12, 11, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And here's the beauty of this. After a particular trial is over, when we have some distance from it, we can see oftentimes how our Heavenly Father was working, how he was working in the midst of that suffering. Our family has talked about this, and I've gotten permission to share some of this, but there have been times when our kids have done something like told a lie, and it had consequences for other people, and it was terrible. It was really, really hard. And we, what we did in that moment, we made them write out the entire book of Proverbs. That's what they had to do, right? Write the entire book of Proverbs. And then we went over to the houses of the families that affected this and we had a meeting and they apologized. And it was one of the hardest things we've ever done. It was absolutely tough and embarrassing. But, and I'm gonna brag on my kids about this, and I may get emotional. Our kids responded in such a wonderful and God-glorifying way. All of them have. They've all gone through trials. They've responded in such a wonderful and God-honoring way. And they are able to see now how God used that suffering and embarrassment to grow them in a way that could not have happened any other way. It had to happen. Here, I'll give you another example. We moved up here. One of our kids, and I won't use names, but one of our kids... Her friends, her friends. <laughs> you, you can't figure it out, can you? No, don't guess now. So she, she left all her friends right before her <laughs> junior year in high school, okay? She showed up at a school, a high school, junior year, didn't know a soul. Didn't know a soul. Now, for me, I think, oh, who cares? It's transferring to school, no big deal. To her, it's a big deal. And for you kids, you know, you show up in a big school, you don't know a single person. But she now sees that that suffering was one of the best things God has ever used in her life. That hardship was so good for her. I'm going to use another example. I got permission. I'm not going to name names. But one one of our boys once failed a class at Georgia Perimeter. Okay? Failed a class at Georgia Perimeter. And he will tell you this. It happened because he was lazy. And I want to say this now, too. Here's the thing. Here's how he responded. Last semester at the University of Georgia... He made all A's and is on the president's list while pursuing a double dog, a bachelor's and a master's degree at the same time. You see how he responded to that? I'm so proud of my kids. And I'm so proud of you kids. When I look around, I watch how you live. And I'm so proud. This church considers you our kids. When I look around at you guys, I'm super proud of you. Okay? So deal with suffering. Understand it's hard, but God uses it. Okay? This is the way our Heavenly Father works. And, and our kids, my wife, you guys know this. 
we see how God uses suffering for our good. I'll give you some embarrassing examples in my own life. Since I'm embarrassing other people, I'm embarrassed myself. I've seen this in my own life. When I was in college, I wasn't a believer. One semester when I was at A&M, I went through some very tough family issues. Our family was falling apart. But really, that was just an excuse. Because the truth is, I was lazy. I was self-centered. I was wicked. And one semester, I made a bunch of Ds. Almost all Ds. And I should have made Fs because my teachers were nice. And to top it off, I even cheated on some tests. This is how much of a loser I was. I cheated and I got Ds, okay? <laughs> that's, that's a loser right there, by definition. I was constantly getting drunk, partying. I even got into gambling problems. But I thought I was so cool, I thought I knew it all. I was an absolute disgrace. I was lazy, hedonistic, terrible. It was just awful. I'm so embarrassed by it. And I experienced suffering in it. I didn't know it at the time, but I see now God was working in that in a huge way. After graduation, at later after I graduated from A&M, it's a miracle I graduated, but I lived, I lived all over the country. And there was a, a period of almost three years where I was extremely lonely. I was, I'd moved to this place and lived there and to be a shop of like, like just a handful of people and they were all older than me. And I'd moved to a different one. I wasn't in church and, I, and it was just lonely. For almost three years, I was almost entirely by myself. It was just lonely and depressing. But what I see now was that God was using that spiritual wilderness for my good. He saved me during that time. And Jesus Christ snatched me as a brand from a fire and put me on a path of following him. And I've been following him ever since then. Okay. After that, I experienced health problems. I've shared this before, and they don't sound like they go away. I deal with them every day. But uh, there have been many times when I have been in the hospital or dealing with other stuff, and it's suffering and it hurts. But I can tell you that I'm grateful for that suffering. I'm grateful. I would not be the man I am today if I had not gone through and continue to go through this suffering. Okay? Because our Father produces fruit. He's done this in your lives. Every one of you can testify to this. He's done this in your life. So suffering is coming. Embrace it as coming from our loving Father who's crazy about us. And he's going to use this for our good. For the moment, again, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And we'll talk more about this next week. I really want to hammer on this and think about it. So think about it this week. Spend some time in the Word. Find other passages. You can find a lot of passages. James 1, right? 2 Corinthians 1. Look for these passages where you can see God using suffering for our good. Let me close with this. And this is a tough part, and I alluded to it earlier. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, then these wonderful promises about the redemptive nature of our suffering, they don't apply to you. Because if you are not trusting in Christ, if you continue to reject Jesus, then you're not a child of God, and he's not your father. And when it comes to eternity, honestly, your suffering won't matter. And this passage does not offer you any hope. It only applies to God's children. If you refuse to put your faith in Christ, then God is not your heavenly father. You're not his child, and you can have no confidence that God is working all things for good in your life. If you continue to reject the Son of God and you're not his child and your suffering is meaningless. But it doesn't have to be that way, right? It doesn't have to be that way. Give your life to Jesus Christ. God's calling you to turn away from your sins, turn away from your self-centeredness to trying to please yourself and give your life over to Jesus Christ. Give the controls of your life over to him and be saved. 
Confess your sins to him. Believe that Jesus has died in your place. Believe that, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And when that happens, you become his child. You're adopted into the family. And as every believer knows, if you're in union with Christ by faith, you're safe for eternity. Because God is our father. We're his beloved children. He's our dad. We're his kids. And he loves us. And eternal salvation is the gift that God guarantees for all his kids. And he promises, he promises that he uses everything in our lives, especially the hardest parts, everything to grow us into the people that he wants us to be. Again, he will not waste any of your pain. All of it will be used by your heavenly father for your good. And you'll know that in eternity. You'll be able to look back and see how God was using every one of your aspects of pain for good in eternity. So my encouragement, if you have it, give your life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you and praise you. Thank you for being our Father. I probably don't say it enough. Thank you for being our Father, our Dad. Thank you that you love your kids. You're crazy about your kids and you use hardships for our good and there's simply no other way. I pray that you would help us to understand that. Jesus, thank you so much for being our big brother, our Savior. Thank you for being our example in your humanity. You suffered so much and yet you were faithful to the very end. So we praise you, Jesus, your awesome Holy Spirit. Thank you for dwelling in our hearts and giving us life. I pray for my friends here, Lord, who are suffering, especially right now, that you would help them, that you'd speak to them. They'd really hear your voice saying that in the midst of this suffering, even, even if the suffering is the result of their own sin or foolishness, Lord, you still use it. It's still for good. So help them understand that. Help them to have eyes of faith to see that you're at work and you're good and you love us. So we love you. We just praise you for this time together. Thank you for being here and for the way you care about us. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for us and being raised from the dead. We praise you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.